We have to make a choice every single week that we are going to live better or we are going to live bitter. C.S. Lewis once said, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Right? Read with me. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. We read, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant feel, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the servant, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Then they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart our message point this morning is this unforgiveness the longer you hold on to it the longer it will hold on to you. Let's be honest with one another this morning. Forgiving people for the wrongs that they have committed against us is not an easy thing to do, is it? I have never met a person that loves to go around and just offer up forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness. Have you? Have you ever found someone, man, that, that I've, I've met generous people, but I don't think I've ever met anybody that just lovingly always forgives people. It's hard to find somebody like that. Our first point this morning is this. Peter inquires about forgiveness. In verse 21, again, we read, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You know, Peter most likely thought that when he approached Jesus, he was being incredibly generous with offering up the, 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 the request that we forgive somebody as many as seven times. The law stated that a person was to forgive someone only three times. The fourth time, judgment was coming. We read in Amos 1.6 where, where Jews would, would, would get this idea. It says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Peter knows that there has to be a limit to how often one extends forgiveness to another. 
He, he recognizes that three, if that was the standard of the law, if that's what the rabbis prescribed, then, then Jesus is probably going to step it up just a little bit. And so when he goes to Jesus, he didn't go with, with three. He didn't even double that to six. He went to Jesus thinking that he was being incredibly generous with all, saying to Jesus, am I supposed to forgive a person up to seven times? Jesus responds, and he says, no. You're not to forgive someone seven times, but you're to forgive someone 77 times. Some of your translations actually say that you're to forgive someone 70 times seven. What does that mean? That means this. What Jesus is trying to communicate to us this morning and to his disciples is that there is no limit to the number of times that you offer up forgiveness to another person. When a brother or sister in Christ wrongs us and they come to us and ask us for forgiveness, that matter is settled. Right then and there, it is settled, it is done, we are to remember it no more. If a person comes to us a second time committing the same offense that they did the first time and they come to us and say, I need you to forgive me, we're not forgiving that person the second time because we're forgiving them the first time because we've already forgiven them the, the, the previous time, right? That matter was settled. When they came to us and said, will you forgive me? And we said, yes, I forgive you. That matter was settled. It was to be remembered no more. The next offense that they come to you with, it's a brand new slate. It's brand new, just like it is with Jesus Christ. Whenever we sin against him and and we go to him and ask him to forgive us, that that slate is clean. Now, in our scripture this morning, we we see here um, the, the need... To, to forgive someone up to 77 times, or some of your translations say 490 times. And, and the idea is this. Now, I know that nobody can see this, except for me, probably, unless you got binocular eyes. But the idea here is this. There's 77 marks up here on this board. If a person comes to us and, and, and we log all of their offenses, that same offense over and over, for example, um, I'm going to forgive, who do I want to pick on in this room? Sonny Radford over here for lying to me. Sonny, I don't know if y'all know about Sonny, but Sonny is a compulsive liar, okay? He lies all the time. So when his lips are moving, he's probably lying to you. Just know that, all right? That's why I had to write up here that I forgive Sonny for lying, not once, not twice. I, I stopped, or my wife actually wrote this, but she stopped at seven because I didn't want to inflict pain on her, making her right to number 77. Well, the idea, um, if, if we were to take this as a literal deal, it would be this, that we forgive someone 77 times, all right? But then when we get to that 78 time, I asked Caitlin to go get me a, a magic marker from, from the office, and she brought me a Sharpie, so it actually works pretty good. But I'm going to write number 78 up here. Okay, when Sonny lies to me for that 78 time, guess what? I don't have to forgive him for that. It's done, now, that 78 is probably going to be on this board for the, as long as this board is around because I don't have to forgive him after that. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. He's not saying that we're to forgive someone only 77 times or only 490 times. The word that is used here, it's unlimited that we are to extend 
forgiveness to another person. Jesus is making it clear to his disciples and to us that when we forgive someone, then the slate between the two of us is brand new. What did Jesus say when he bore our sins upon the cross? He said it is finished. He used the word to telestai, paid in full. Our sins were forgiven. Our sins were paid in full. If we go to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us of our sins, he remembers our sins no more. They're paid in full. It's finished. Problem is, Jesus remembers our sins no more. But I know how I am, and I probably know how you are as well. We have a hard time letting go of sins, don't we? that have been, that have been um, inflicted our way. It's hard for us to forgive someone. It's hard for us not only to forgive, but also to forget. Notice what Jesus does. He follows up making the statement of forgiving someone up to 77 or 70 times 7 times with the example. He gives us an example of forgiveness. He gives us two. There is the king's example and we, we read that in verse 23 through 26. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. In order to understand the graciousness of this king, we have to understand exactly how much 10,000 talents would be. And, and, and this word that is used to describe these talents is actually a word that is... Um, it's, it's an astronomical number. You can't really identify exactly how much he owed. So as I did research, this servant owed this king anywhere between millions of dollars and potentially up to a billion dollars. Now, I'm not sure what kind of a king this is that would loan his servant or entrust his servant with hundreds of millions of dollars, but it had to be a king that was gracious. Notice the generosity of this king. The king wanted to settle the debts with those indebted to him. Person after person must have come to him to settle their debts. This man comes in our story before the king. And what does the king want? The king wants payment, doesn't he? He wants what that man owed to be paid in full. And the consequences for, for not paying up was that the man was going to be sold, his wife was going to be sold, his children were going to be sold, and all of his possessions were going to be sold as well. And I'm sure that it was not a package deal. I bet you each person would have been sold to the highest bidder, and this family would have been broken apart had the king indeed required payment on that day. This servant recognized the situation. And what does he do? He falls down on his knees and he pleads to the king to be gracious toward him, to give him time to pay back that debt. And he promises the king, if you just give me time, I will pay back the debt. Now, all of us have been in probably a situation where we have needed an extension on a loan. It may have been a home loan. It may have been an auto loan. It may have been a school loan. It may have been a, a you may need an extension to file for your taxes because you couldn't pay them right away. All of us have been there. 
This man finds himself in a situation where he cannot pay back this loan. What happens next absolutely blows my mind. We see here the graciousness of this king. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine being forgiven of a debt in the hundreds of millions of dollars? I have a hard time whenever I loan somebody $20 forgiving them of that debt. This man forgave this servant potentially a billion-dollar debt. Understand, this king did not just forgive the debt of this servant, but he bore the consequences for the debt. This man has lost a large portion of his master's wealth. That is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Jesus did not just forgive our sins, but he bore the penalty for our sins. He bore every one of our sins upon the cross. That is a picture of what we see in this story. This man owed a debt he could not pay back. And this king, King Jesus, extends grace to this person. And he didn't just, he didn't just say, hey, I'm going to extend you six months to pay this loan back. No, he said, your debt is forgiven. What a beautiful picture of grace and forgiveness. So this extraordinary debt is forgiven. Now, you would think this servant would go out and live just as graciously, right? That's not what happened. Notice the servant's example. But when, the time, when, the, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. This servant was faced with a similar situation. He left the presence of the king, and sometime after he left, he encounters a fellow servant. And this fellow servant owed him a hundred denarii, which would be equivalent to probably a few hundred dollars or maybe even a few thousand dollars. Not much, comparatively speaking, right? When this servant encountered his fellow servant, he greeted him, not with a whole kiss. He didn't greet him with a high five or a handshake or anything like that. No, he greeted him by choking him and wanting what was owed him to be paid back immediately. What in the world had come over this man? Not only did he choke that man, but he threw him in prison as well. He was just forgiven a millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars. This man owed chump change in, in comparison. To give us a better understanding of just how much this man's debt was paid and how much this man would not release this other man of his debt, I came across this, um, this article that compared the two debts. A hundred denarii could be carried in one pocket. To carry 10, 000, a 10,000-talent debt would take an army of 86 hundred soldiers, each carrying a bag weighing 60 pounds. They would form, if they were to line up one yard apart, they would form a line five miles long. 
So as a point of comparison, one man owed what you could put in your pocket. The other man owed what could only be carried by 8,600 men, each holding a bag 60 pounds in weight. If someone just forgave you a debt in the millions and someone else owed you in comparison pocket change, what would you do? Hopefully all of us would just say, just forget about it. Don't worry about it. Man, that's nothing between brothers. It's not what this man does. This man, in verse 29 we read, So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This man responds just like the first guy did before. He fell down on his knees and he asked for an extension. He asked for grace. He asked for mercy. But because this servant had wickedness in his heart, he threw him in prison and would not let him out until his debt was paid in full. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many people have you placed into a prison because you have not been willing to extend forgiveness to them? How many people have come up to you over the course of your life, or let's just say recently, and they've needed your forgiveness, and you chose not to forgive them? When we choose not to forgive someone, guess what? We put them into a prison where they are left struggling with their sinfulness. They are left struggling with the things that they have done wrong. They want to be released of that wrong, but because we have chosen not to forgive them and thrown them in prison, they are left in prison until we open up that prison and extend forgiveness to them. I've been there. I've been there on both ends. It is not a pretty place to be. Notice the king's wrath. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Some of your translations include in verse 34 this word torture or tormentors. And because this man failed to extend grace and mercy, the king had no choice but to punish him. In the MacArthur commentary, we read these words, when believers forget their own divine forgiveness by God and refuse to extend human forgiveness to fellow believers, the Lord puts them under such tortures as stress, as hardship, pressures, or other difficulties until the sin is confessed and forgiveness is granted. In the book of James Chapter 2, verse 13, we read, Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this prison goes both ways, doesn't it? There's this prison that, that, that we put someone in when we do not extend forgiveness to them. And there's also a prison that the Lord puts us in when we don't extend forgiveness that forgiveness. So both of us are left in a prison, aren't we? 
Some of you have been there. Like I said, I've been there. And it's not pretty. It's, it's, it, that anger builds up. It turns into rage. It turns into hatred. It turns into to malice. It, it, and that goes both ways from the person that needs forgiveness and from us who need to extend forgiveness as well. Jesus gives those of us who are unable to extend forgiveness a warning. Notice the warning against unforgiveness. In verse 35, we read, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you and I cannot forgive and forget, then you and I will continue to live with bitterness and anger and rage and malice. Let us not live that way. Let us live free from those things and live better, not bitter. If Jesus can forgive you and I of the wrongs we have done against him, then certainly we can forgive another of the wrongs that they have done against us. Forgiveness is not easy. Understand, for me, I have allowed myself to be imprisoned because of unforgiveness. And I know I've extended that to others as well. As we conclude this morning, I want us to look at the reasons to forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive others because we ourselves have been forgiven. Much forgiveness has been extended to us, so much forgiveness should be extended to others. One commentator wrote, In Christ we have received extravagant grace. As Christians, we are called to extend extravagant grace as well. In Ephesians 4.32, we read these words, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's hard. It is hard at times to forgive, but it is something that we must do. It isn't a great suggestion in God's Word, is it? It is a great command that we extend forgiveness to one another. For just a moment, I want us to just reflect, okay? I want us to, I'm going to read some passages of Scripture And I want us to look at Christ's love for us and the extension of the amount of forgiveness that he has extended to us. In Isaiah 55, 7, we read how our sins have been abundantly pardoned. In verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, several years ago, I read an illustration by Billy Graham, and and it goes like this. When Warren Candler was a young man practicing law, he defended a man accused of murder. The young lawyer went all out in his efforts to clear his client of the charge, And there were some extenuating circumstances. His mother and father were in the courtroom during this trial. And the lawyer really played on the sympathies of his mother and father. And and, and, in due course, the jury reached its verdict, not guilty. The young lawyer himself, a Christian, had a serious talk with his cleared client. He warned him to steer clear of evil ways and to trust God's power to keep him straight. Years later, this man once again finds himself in a courtroom, again for murder. Candler, the lawyer who had defended him at his first trial, was now the judge on the bench. And at the conclusion of that trial, 
The jury reached its verdict, guilty. Ordering the condemned man to stand for sentencing, Judge Candler said, At your first trial, I was your lawyer. Today, I am your judge. The verdict of the jury makes it mandatory for me to sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. Today, Christ is our lawyer, pleading on our behalf. He is our Savior, willing to forgive and cleanse and forgive all of us in this room of the wrongs that we've committed against him. However, there is coming a fearful day when he will be judge. If you trust in him and accept his forgiveness for your sins, then you will be pardoned of those sins. For those who choose not to be pardoned and choose to die a sinner's death, there is coming a day when you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in Hebrews 9.27 we read, And just as it is appointed, For man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There is coming a day when every single person is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For the unbeliever, they are going to be punished for the sins that they committed on this earth. They will die eternally in hell, in a prison where they, I can just imagine, are going to recall every sin that they had ever committed. All it takes is crying out to Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins and accepting that forgiveness as well. It's one thing to just ask Jesus to forgive us, but it's another thing to actually accept his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace. Our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. In Psalms 103, verses 10 through 12, we read, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the, in the Bible. Because it shows us that Jesus takes our sins and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers them no more. Our sins have been forgotten. In Hebrews 10, 17, we read, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Our sins have been blotted out. Isaiah 43, 25. I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Our sins have been covered. Psalm 32, 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. In Colossians 2, 14, we read, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus Christ remembers our sins no more. He nailed them to the cross. He he forgave us of our small sins as well as those big, hairy, ugly sins as well. What a beautiful picture of grace and mercy and love that Jesus has, has, has given to us. Our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. In 1 John 1, 7, we read, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's a picture of the kind of love that Jesus has for us. The kind of a picture of, of the forgiveness that he has offered up to every single one of us in this room. 
Brian Bill mentions three barriers to forgiveness. And this is where we find ourselves often. I find myself often right here. Their barrier number one is revenge. I am going to get even. Have you ever said that? Someone has wronged you, and how do you respond? I'm going to get even with that person. That person did this to me, but I'm going to do this to them. Number two, resentment. I am going to stay angry. Every time I see that person as I walk the hallways of my school or I walk the the hallways of my place of employment, when I see that person, I'm just going to give them the evil eye. Been there and done that. Remembering, I will never forget. I will never forget what you did to me. Been there and done that too. It's not pretty. It's not pretty when we find ourselves there. Because what happens is not only, once again, are we imprisoning that person, but we too are being placed into a prison because we have been unwilling to forgive that person of the wrong that they have done against us. You and I have a choice every single day. We can live bitter or we can live better. Which are you going to choose? We live better, obviously, when we live life with a generous heart and we forgive when forgiveness is needed. Once again, I mean, this is a great suggestion. After that 77th time, then we can free ourselves of ever having to forgive that person again, but that's not what that passage of Scripture is saying. We forgive unlimited amounts because of this. When we forgive someone genuinely for the first time they lied against us, when they come to us the second time having lied and asked for forgiveness, then we're back up here at number one. We're not at number two. We don't go to number three. We don't, and I know Sonny, okay? Sonny likes to lie once again, okay? But when I forgive Sonny, I mean it. We're done. It's done, paid in full to tell us die, man. It's done. Just like when Jesus forgave us of our sins on the cross, it was done. It was finished to tell us die. He remembered it no more when we go to him and ask him to forgive us. I want us to conclude this morning. I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And even though I'm leading us in this, Understand that I'm walking through this as well. I want us to just do a forgiveness inventory this, this morning. Let me ask you this question. Who this morning do you need to go to and ask for their forgiveness? That person may be in this room and you need to get something resolved with them today. It may be someone outside of the doors of this church. It may be a spouse it may be a child. It may be a coworker or a neighbor or, or, or a parent. Who do you need to go to this morning and ask for their forgiveness? Also, who do you need to release from the prison because you would not accept their forgiveness? Who do you need to release from the prison from their prison because you were unwilling to accept their forgiveness. Maybe somebody in this room, 
maybe someone outside of this room, maybe a spouse, co-worker, family member, a fellow student at school. And we're about to enter into a time of invitation. And if you are here this morning and you need to extend forgiveness to somebody, man, man, I invite you to do that this morning. Just walk over to that person. Ask them to walk out with you and y'all go do business with the Lord. During this time of invitation, every head's going to be bowed and every eye's going to be closed. Your business is not our business. So if you need to extend that forgiveness to somebody in this room, you do that. You may need to come to this altar and just kneel down and pray this morning and ask for the Lord to give you the boldness that you need to offer and extend that forgiveness to someone else. You may need to just where you're at this morning seated, just ask for the Lord to give you that strength. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never experienced the greatest demonstration of love that any person can receive than receiving the love of Jesus, receiving the ultimate forgiveness for your sins. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come. I'll be right here at the front. I'd love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. The Lord's leading you to join this faith family. I'll be here. Love to share with you how you can do that. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then we will enter into a time of invitation. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, I know that this is a hard sermon to hear, and it's a hard sermon to preach as well. We all want to be forgiven, but it's hard for us to extend forgiveness sometimes because the wounds are so deep, the hurts are so great, the pain is just unbearable at times. But Father, when I think about you on that cross, when you bore the world's sin, you didn't bear just one offense that I committed or two offenses that I committed. You, you bore the thousands of offenses that I've committed against you. And I'm just one person. But, Father, you bore billions of other people's sins as well. And you said it is finished And we cry out to you asking you to forgive us of those sins. You remember them no more. And if you demonstrated that great love for us, we can demonstrate that love to one another. And so, Father, we ask you to help us to do that. We ask that you help us to extend grace to one another and love to one another. Help us to to, to, to just take those wrongs and cast those into the sea of, of forgetfulness as well. Help us not to live with them anymore. Help us to remember them no more. Help us, Father, with those that have wronged us, just to live with a clean slate over and over and over again and not hold it over one another's heads. Father, you're such a good God. Help us to be good as well. 
Father, if there's some in this room that needs to make a decision this morning to come to know you as their Lord and Savior, join this church. May they do that this morning. Others may need to get things resolved with someone in this room or outside this room. Lord, just move during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're just going to 